Hello, everybody. Hello, Questers on a Wednesday night podcast with special guest tonight, Scott Clark. Hello, everybody. It's going to be a great podcast tonight. Get your wine, get your coffee ready. It's going to be a long one, guys. I got a little ranting to do after. And Scott said he'll stay with us as much as he can throughout the podcast. And I thank them so much uh, for that. Uh, I want to thank all my members, as I always do, for all their support and membership and fees. Judy, Daniel, Osprey Muyan, thank you so, so much. You guys are the best. My mods, they're fantastic. And for a lifetime contributor, Chris Adona. I want to thank my Quest of Oak Island Facebook group, all 70,000. That makes this thing tick. We're on Quest Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and other platforms, including Twitch, Rumble, Discord, and Instagram, and also Spotify for podcasters. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, the clock fell off the wall. So... Studio problems. (laughs) It just fell off the wall, guys. Alrighty. Well, you've seen this cast member on the Curse of Oak Island show. Uh, He's a friend of mine. He was on before. We had a great podcast. If you guys got questions, throw them up on the text. I have about 10 uh, questions for him. After this little presentation of his new book. And please have a warm welcome to Scott Clark. How's it going, John? Hello, Scott. Welcome to the podcast. You are now a veteran. This is number two for you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Happy to be on. Yep. Everybody's coming in. Like I said, uh, you went once around the sun today. And personally, from me to you, I want to wish you a happy birthday today. And thanks for coming on, Scott. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I've, I've been out all day, so I, I know there's been lots of people messaging me. I, I'm looking forward to Checking Facebook later on today. Yep, and you got your over a hundred Oak Island books behind you, all filed up, nice and nice in your bookcase. <laughs> yeah, on my office area. Yep. Believable. A lot of people were looking forward to uh, what you have to say tonight. And also, like I said, if you want to stay for the podcast, just let us know. Sure, and yeah. uh, Judy will be on on the telephone, but I don't know if I can uh, rewire that so she can hear you. But just let me know if you can hear her because it's kind of crazy with the phone and somebody on live at the same time. Sometimes they can hear her, sometimes they can't. I can hear her, but sometimes we have a problem with the guest. Just let me know, Scott. Sure. Okay. Everybody's saying hello. Everybody's saying happy birthday. Yep. I just pulled up the comments. Thank you, everybody. Oliver on the house, Oak Island Research. They do fantastic work. And then, uh, like Scott, we got to find that silver number one. You know what I mean? I know. I know. That's that's my uh, my key theory is the, the Phipps Concepcion so silver. So I'm really hoping they uh, 
there's so much evidence pointing towards it, right? Right. And did you actually give them an X or no? I did on another theory, yeah. Um, so in, in the book, I, I talk about another treasure map that I found. Okay. Um, created by uh, a Freemason. It's the earliest map of Mahone Bay known. Oh, my and Lord, I, I, 40. I believe I found, uh, well, myself, I found two ciphers, and uh, Chris Morford found a third cipher on the same map, uh, which I talk about in the book. So um, I actually uh, presented um, part of that to, to the guys on the island, and, uh, and um, I present uh, a specific spot on the island um, called the uh, Tau Path. Mm -hmm. So it's based on a triple tau, uh, which is a Masonic um, symbol, and mm -hmm. which I believe is on this map. And, and it was created by a Freemason 33 years before the discovery of the money pit. Unbelievable, um, guys. Unbelievable. And, and a triple tau, literally, in, in to Freemasons, it means a key to the treasure. That's one of the meanings of a triple tau. And it's pointing right at Oak Island. Oh, my lordy, 40, you're driving me crazy. <laughs> I love it. Now, that's another so, presentation you gave to the fellowship that hasn't aired yet, probably. Correct. Correct. You got the yeah. silver uh, presentation, and this other stuff that you have in your new book was presented in another episode or whatever they're doing with it, right? Yeah. And then I okay. also did the uh, the breastplate theory as well. And uh, that was a, a Zoom, a Zoom war room. Which is pretty cool, and then uh, and then I was on that Freemason Factor episode, right? Talking about my research there, so I think I've, yeah, I think I've been on um, uh, three main episodes, but they've repeated me like about nine times. So people are probably getting sick of seeing the same thing over and over. But I've been on about twelve times with the repeats. <laughs> yeah, repeats. You know, I've been here for ten years. If they're not used to the repeats and patience now, that yep. is drilled into our heads. <laughs> That's part of the programming part of it not the treasure part and not the history part you know the programming of the show to put it all together to make yep. some kind of storyline out of all this mystery. if they don't already remember yeah <laughs> yep all right so uh let's get right into it with your book uh scott i'll bring up the uh the screen share and you can start uh you know where you can get the book when it's going to be available and we'll get that right off the bat okay scott yeah sure all right, here we go. So I just yeah, I just threw together a few quick slides. Um, so that's a, a copy um, of the full cover of the book that they sent me, the publisher. Um, I don't know how well people can see it, but uh, so I, I did have some um, say in the cover. I, I specifically uh, asked my publisher if they could incorporate that 1762 map of Mahone Bay, which they did. Mm -hmm. um, Oak Island is actually right above the A in Oak. Um, and then the actual symbols, the uh, like an oak, the O, the uh, the O is a circle with a dot, mm. and the the A is like a triangle, which are all symbols I talk about, Masonic symbols in my book. Um, and then it was their idea, actually, which was quite I really liked, was to incorporate that Masonic uh, symbol at the bottom with the all-seeing eye, right over the compass rose on the map. Mm -hmm. So it goes right if you follow the red line, it goes right around to Oak Island. Uh, so that was pretty cool. And then I also wanted them to, to put on the triple tau symbol, which is on the spine of the book, which is up in the top mm -hmm. uh, within a triangle and a circle. And um, yeah, so that's that's the cover. Um, so basically, uh, you know, the book, um, I conceived of the book about 15 years ago. I was when I was working with Mark Finnan. Um, 
basically the plan back then was that he would write most of it out based on my research. Mm -hmm. And that sort of didn't come to pass, which, which is actually a good thing because much later I, I've, I found so much more information over the years um, that I was able to put into this book. And uh, when I was on the island um, a year and a half ago doing my, my presentations, one of the producers said, you know, you really should write a book. You've got so much material here. And so that, that of course, prompted me to, to uh, start putting it all together. And uh, I uh, shopped it to a couple of publishers who weren't looking for submissions, but they both loved the idea right away. And they were both, uh, both trying to uh, get me to, to sign with them. So I, I ended up going with the one in, in Halifax, which uh, I just felt was a much better fit for me. Mm -hmm. uh, they were very enthusiastic. And of course, Oak Island, that's, that's a big thing out there. So um so yeah it's been a it's been a couple of years uh I, you know i know people some people self-publish and some people advise me to self-publish but I'm, I'm glad i went with a a big publisher because they they do all kinds of behind the scenes stuff and there's a whole publicity uh that's going on now which is really great so um yeah is this uh how many pages is it is it going to be like available like a ebook or anything like that also scott yeah yeah it'll it'll um i i was working on a uh um description for the blind i guess it is there was a describing mm -hmm. the photos um so that'll be coming out and and eventually yeah there'll be a there'll be a i guess an ebook um it's about i think uh is it 270 pages Mm -hmm. There's about 40, 40 images and, um, um, yeah, so, so that, that, that's the, the book took about two years to come out and, uh, uh, a lot of time on editing. I, I, I told people that I, I used to think I was pretty, pretty good with English, but, uh, once, once the editor got to it, it was like, holy cow, there's so many small, uh, small things you kind of have to follow and they, they want to make it as concise as possible. And mm -hmm. um, I had put actually put in a lot of people's names. I had put in your name, for example, like I talked about uh, different, different Oak Island groups mm -hmm. and some personal names. And they said, Oh no, it's best to not have that. And, you know, certain people will, will, will love it, but you know, 99.9% .9 of people won't know who they are or whatever. So, right. Um, so that kind of thing, you know, was a little bit discouraging to, to have them take that out um but i think it all you know it turned out well they they, they did a good job with the editing and and, they, and it was always back and forth with me you know making the corrections and uh so yeah it's been a great experience um so the book the book came out um i guess it was about three weeks ago um so that um it's out in canada right now but not officially in the u.s so it's, it's on amazon.com but i i highly recommend anyone from the u.s to get it from my publisher Mm -hmm. uh, nimbus.ca it, it's actually cheaper that way and it takes a week or less to to go to, to ship to the u.s so um you can get it there or or amazon.ca or any bookstore in canada at the moment and within the next couple of months it'll be rolled out across the u.s uh to most bookstores in the u.s so um i'm not sure why there was a bit of a delay, delay there with that but i think it's a different distributor um so yeah, so since since the book came out, I uh, um, it's not moving. I'm just trying to change my slide. Okay. Uh, it's not changing for me. Anyway, um, so since the book came out, I've had a few events. Uh, I, I had my. Um, my first event was an Ontario Library Association uh, super conference, which was very close to my office. Uh, so I got to go in and show the book uh, and talk about it to, um, oh, there we go. 
That's me. Um, I had it. I had it in the staging area. Okay, perfect. So, so that's yeah, that's me at the uh, the, the conference. Uh, I know some people have seen that photo before. So, that was prior to the book coming out. So they actually had some postcards that they asked me to sign for people, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, it was great to have people coming up and talking to me. And and uh, um, so that was the first event that was uh, just prior to the book coming out. And can you go to the next one, John? Or that's all I really have of you in my staging area as far as photos. Um, and I just got the book like that. That's about it. Not unless you okay. want to reboot the uh, share page. Um, try that real quick. Uh, let me see. So stop. Yeah, hit stop. Okay, you went off. Okay, and then present. There's always glitches, Scott. No matter what we do, we don't worry. I about think it. I think this happened last time too. It's yeah. I'm not used to presenting on the. Uh... <clears throat> yeah, we don't we don't worry about it at all. Now, can you see? Nothing yet. Okay. If this doesn't work, then we'll just keep going. But uh... no. Okay. Um. Hmm. Anyway, so I'll just I'll just talk quickly. So the the next one was uh, I was invited to be the uh, the keynote speaker at a uh, Masonic black tie banquet. Oh, nice. Um, which was at a, a heritage uh, a Freemason lodge, which uh, does a lot of work with, with Masonic history. And um, that was really cool. That was actually, um, um, I didn't know the, the grand master of, of all of uh, uh, Ontario would be there. Mm -hmm. um, so that was pretty cool. So, so there was the whole, uh, whole number of grand lodge members um, that were all quite interested in, in Oak Island and, and talk about the book. Um, I also uh, was invited to a Scottish Rite dinner. Um, so I really believe that, that Oak Island is connected to the Scottish Rite more than anything else. Um, and uh, yeah, so basically the Scottish Rite uh, contains what, what's called, there's Royal Arch within Scottish Rite mm -hmm. and also the York Rite. So they're the, the, the appendant bodies of the three main degrees. And um, most of the research that I've, I've done is, is involves, uh, as I said, a Royal Arch or Scottish Rite. And uh, so this, this talk at the Scottish Rite dinner was really interesting. And um, um, they had in attendance the two uh, highest members of the Scottish Rite for Canada. So they were uh, the 33rd degree active council, which is pretty much, there's no higher level you can go in, 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 in a Scottish Rite. Okay. Uh, so they were there. And, and also the very first person that came up to me and asked me to sign. I, I actually um, received copies of my book, and I, I brought them with me uh, to sell. And and one of the first person and first people that asked me was uh, the former Grand Master of Ontario, the year that I became a Freemason hmm. back in 2008, 2009. So that was that was really cool. Um, I didn't really know who he was at the time. He didn't know me, but then when I heard his name, and I was like, oh wow, it's you know that was a, a real coincidence. So um, so that that was really interesting. Um, also, uh, last week, I, I think um, some people probably um, saw that I was on uh, CTV News morning show in, in, in um, 
Atlantic Canada. So that was broadcast in Nova Scotia, uh, Newfoundland, Prince Edward Island, New Brunswick. And okay. um, once that was aired, uh, my, my book really shot up the rankings on Amazon, very good. Uh, which, was, which was very cool. So uh, I think it was like, you know, number 300 or something in Freemasonry and it went all the way to number one. Very, so, very good, Scott. Very so it good. was a, a best-selling <laughs> book for a, for a half a day. Uh, uh, I think right now it's actually number four again. It dropped down to like whatever. And so those rankings change every day based oh. on, on sales. And uh, yeah. wait till the USA, in. you know, wait till it hits the USA, then bada bingo, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, there's already been some rankings in the USA based on this. Uh, like I said, there was a, a third-party seller, I guess, purchased some copies from Canada, mm-hmm. jacked up the price a few dollars, and then he's selling them. Oh and, my and word! So so people so he he's making more than I'm making per book. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get a uh, hold of that guy. I, I've heard that's that's a common thing. I heard from from Gretchen Cornwall and and uh, um, so almost same with James McQuiston had the same problems and mm. it's just a, a problem with, with you know being an author. But uh, that's okay. It's it's uh, I'm just very happy to have uh, people buying the book and and then um, a lot of people telling me that they love it. So I hear you. And then uh, also you got the Fellowship Treasure swag on that you got from the fellow yeah i have the shirt on that rick uh so that was something else that was pretty cool the uh um i've never received anything in the mail from rick lagina before and i was waiting i was waiting for copies of my book to come from my publisher and and one day last week i i the doorbell rings and it's the postman and he's got two packages and one of them is my book and the other one is this package from rick lagina from literally from oak island like the address is from oak island yeah and it had a, a jacket and a, and a shirt. Um, I guess it was for people who were members of uh, uh, the 2022 season last mm-hmm. year. Yeah. Or uh, so into this season, season 10. So uh, I was a little worried when I saw it. I said, does that mean the show is over? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I didn't get a, a firm answer, but I, I'm, I'm 95% sure it's not over. The, oh, the sure. Sure. And you got the quest season. hat. And you got the quest hat on. I got your, yeah, I put your quest hat on there. Yep. Thank we're you very much. Set. So, uh, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a great ride recently. It's been a, like I said, a lot of work for a couple of years, but it's now really, you know, starting to pay off. So. Well, now that you know, like the process, would a second book be even a little bit easier or that? Yes. Yes, yeah. it would. Yeah. And, uh, I'm already, I'm already, you know, working on research, um, things that I found, like I, I was supposed to be on the island last summer, hmm. um, to, to do another war room. And I ended up getting sick and I had to postpone it. Mm-hmm. And then yep. and the season sort of ended. And and uh, so so that was unfortunate. I, I would have been probably on again this season. But um, Rick told me that I would, you know, almost certainly be back again if there's another season. So, right. Right. So I do have more material to present. Um, some of it's in the book. If people buy the book, they'll see it there first. But uh, uh, there's some other stuff as well that isn't in the book yet or that isn't in the book. Okay. Now, any of your research, I've been trying to get a hold of the chief of Mi'kmaq. Any research go to the Mi'kmaqs as far as any history they have, except for what the TV tells us about the relationship with the island and the, and the reservation up there? Not, I mean, not that I've been involved with. Um, I, I know there's that, there's talk about how the Mi'kmaq flag um, is identical to the Templar battle flag or something, and that's that's sort of gone around on certain sites, but I, I know uh, a certain expert who debunked that, who said no, that's absolutely not true. Um, so that's something I do know from years ago. From, from right, I guess they had that flag was 
brought to the, everybody's attention in the 1900s, not way back when the Templars supposedly were there, but into the 1900s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I haven't had other much um, dealings myself with, with Mi'kmaq. There's his book. All right, got a couple of questions for you, Scott. Sure. What are some of the unknown connections between Freemasonry and Oak Island pre-1795? Thank you, Scott. Um, yeah, so one of the biggest, I guess, was uh, my finding that uh, over one-third of the island was owned by Freemasons uh, prior to 1795. So um, there was speculation that there might have been like one or something, but uh, um, I found that at least six Freemasons and likely more uh, owned at least nine of the lots and likely more as well. So um, so definitely there was Freemasons there very early. And, and one of the very first Freemasons on the island uh, came from the very first Grand Lodge in all of North America in Boston. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, his lodge brother was Jonathan Belcher Sr., the son of Captain Andrew Belcher, who I've talked about on the show. So there's a, there's a really cool, you know, Belcher connections to both the Captain Andrew's son and grandson, both directly to Oak Island, being, being among the earliest, very earliest lot owners. Um, another connection is um, uh, the man who conducted the very first Mark Mason degree in all of North America um, was in Halifax. And uh, within three weeks of doing that, he was in at Chester Lodge conducting the very first meeting of Chester Lodge with these uh, Oak Island lot owners in attendance. Oh, there you go. And, and, um, and one of the things I talk about in my book, uh, which people probably don't know yet if they haven't read it, is that I discovered that um, three of the very earliest marks chosen by Mark Masons are identical to symbols from the 90 foot stone. There you go, guys. You got to buy the book and find out. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot more to it, obviously. I'm just giving you the... Yeah. Okay, Scott. And do you think it. it's possible that Freemasons were targeted for involvement with Oak Island based on the fact they usually had a lot of money to invest? And do you think that would motivate someone to make it look like Oak Island had Masonic associations? Thank you, Scott. Um... So the question is saying that they think it's it's not a like made to look in terms of um, not legitimate. I guess, yeah. I mean, it's it's possible. I, I don't I don't believe that it. That it I mean, there's been people that have suggested that it's a masonic, um, you know, a fraud or a you know a, okay. a joke or something over the years. But just just my, my the family connections that I found, like I I, I discovered. Um, you know, within my own family that I talk about in the book, there are five generations that have been involved in the treasure hunt over almost 150 years. Mm -hmm. And, and surely, you know, those, those families, um, if they had known there was any kind of scam going on, they would have told their grandson or whoever it was, yeah. no, don't bother. It's, it's, yeah. it's, uh, and they didn't, they, they all Just kept, kept going, going with it. And, yep. and uh, so, so the, yeah, to me that, that doesn't, I don't believe that. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. And believing a Masonic breastplate was once used on Oak Island that you presented, do you believe that the Ark of the Covenant is located there? There's a big one for you. 
so I no, I don't believe the actual Ark of the Covenant is there. I know the show talks about that. Um, yeah, all the time. But um, so the the Masonic ritual actually talks about a replica of replica. the Ark. Okay. So there, I, there very could we, very well could be a replica of the Ark, uh, which um, you know it would be sensational what they immediately find it. They would have to test it and blah blah blah. You know, but um, yeah, I don't believe the actual Ark is there. Okay. What is the difference between Freemasons and Rosicrucians, and do you believe both work together on Oak Island? So, um, so Rosicrucians uh, came out around, I believe it was very early 1600s, mm -hmm. and the first Freemasons were 1634, um, Sir William uh, Alexander. Uh, they both came out around the same time, and, and uh, the earliest members... Uh, Elias Ashmole and others were very interested in both. So they were they were they were Freemasons, but they were also very interested in the esoteric uh, aspect of Rosicrucian. Um, so Rosicrucian actually did get melded into Freemasonry. Like in the Scottish Rite, there are three degrees that are very specifically Rosicrucian, and um, and I, I have those degrees myself, and I also belong to a separate um, Rosicrucian Masonic group. You have to be a Freemason first um to to join that group um so i absolutely do believe they're they're connected they're they're they they go hand in hand and and uh both could very well be linked back to francis bacon mm -hmm. uh, i believe john d was definitely involved as well in in rosicrucianism um sorry what was the second part of the question was there um do you believe both work together on oak island um so yes, um, I mean, basically it's Freemasons that I talk about, but I, I believe there's definitely Rosicrucian elements. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, here's the another question here, Scott. Thank you for uh, answering these questions. Yep. Can you tell us about our your family history relating to Oak Island? Yeah, so as I said, I, I so I talk about in the book how I was adopted as a baby and, mm -hmm. and uh, I was very interested in Freemasonry, uh, Freemasonry and Oak Island uh, before finding my birth parents. And I, I discovered that my birth mother, uh, through her, I'm related to all these earliest treasure hunters. So I'm related to um, pretty much all of the known Onslow Company members from, from 1802, 1803. And, um, and uh, through my dad, uh, birth father, um, he was from Edinburgh, Scotland and was a, mm -hmm. a 32nd degree Mason. And, and his father's a Freemason, and and I have Masons uh, um, going back in Nova Scotia as well. So, okay, very good. So that was that's been that's been part of my my what I call my personal odyssey in my book is 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 that whole um, finding my my birth family and finding out about, about my you know my genetic history and and right. all these really interesting connections that I've found. All right, uh, you don't have a uh, this is only from Johnny here. You don't have a tattooed map on the on your back, do you? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't find no map on your body anywhere. Okay. No, no. <laughs> oh, I had to put that one in there. I don't know. All right. Who were some of the Freemasons listed at that Chester Lodge that were involved in Ocon? You said seven of them, you said, I think? Uh, six, actually. I six. have, yeah. Um, so, so everybody knows um, Alexander Patillo. Has been mentioned on the show, so his his uh, 
uh, Masonic apron is hanging in, in Clark Lodge, which is in Chester, which which is uh, was shown on the Freemason Factor episode. Mm -hmm. um, so so uh, he was one of the early ones. He was from Scotland. Um, Captain James Anderson, of course, everyone yeah. knows. Uh, so James Anderson became a Mason in Maryland, and uh, he had his first degree. And when he came to Nova Scotia, uh, he joined Chester Lodge and got his second degree there. Um, there's also an, a man named James Sharp, um, Alexander McNeil, John Kinghorn, and then Jonathan Prescott, who a lot of people know as well. Um, to me, Jonathan Prescott is one of the key key people. Okay. As I said, he was an, uh, an early member of the first Grand Lodge in North America and a brother of uh, Jonathan Belcher. Mm. And uh, he was a longtime early, early uh, lot owner on Oak Island. Alrighty. Alrighty. Do you believe there's a link between the Knights Templar and Freemasonry? And do you believe Templars were on Oak Island? So I know um, mainstream historians will say there is no definite link. I, I talk in my book how I, I have a friend um, uh, in Scotland who believes he's found proof oh, um, that... Uh, I mean, basically, there, there's there's a whole bunch of, of Templar properties in this one area near near uh, Kilwinning Abbey, mm -hmm. and that was built around I think 1100, and then um, uh, Kilwinning um, also became the Mother Lodge of Scotland. It's the oldest um, apparent lodge. The, the, the records go back to I think the 1630s. Okay. So there's a couple of lodges in Edinburgh that predate by the records, but but. Uh, so yeah, I do believe that there is there is a connection. I, I think it's um, maybe not a not a hundred percent established in people's eyes, but I, I I believe it's there. And and in terms of Oak Island, I, I um, it's not my main research. I, I do believe it's possible that the Templars were there. Mm -hmm. um, I talk about a, a theory involving uh, Sir Sir Humphrey Gilbert in the 1500s. He was known to have been uh, in Newfoundland and and uh, around Nova Scotia. And uh, that was in 1593, I believe. Um, and then Gilbert is actually related to Captain Andrew Belcher. So my, that all sort of flows together. Um, the Templars, to me, is a bit of a separate thing that, that couldn't okay. be possible, but I don't know for sure. Okay. Um, Scott, why do you think William Phillips would bury silver on Oak Island and not closer to his home in Massachusetts? Um. I mean, probably because back then it was it was uh, uninhabited. Like it was um, uh, the, the letter that I found from 1687 uh, talks about how the uh, uh, captain Andrew Belcher had Phipps's ship right mm -hmm. after he came back from the treasure recovery, the second recovery. Okay, yeah. With one uh, twentieth of the silver, mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of it was was missing. And then this letter says they went to a place called Port Bear in Nova Scotia, which uh, I show is is actually. Um, one of the closest named places back in 1688 uh, to what would become Oak Island. So I think it was just, yeah, the, the, the fact that, um, okay. I also think that it's possible that, uh, that um, Captain Andrew Belcher might've known about Oak Island uh, through his Masonic and or Gilbert connections that he might've known there was already a secret vault on Oak Island. Mm, very, very good. And the last question did William Phillips, have any connection, do you think, to Captain William 
kid. We got to put the pirate in there, uh, Scott. <laughs> yeah, and I talk about him in my book as well. It's it's uh, it's amazing that Captain Andrew Belcher actually was very uh, had very direct ties to both of them. So uh, he was a very a good a best friend and and worked with William Phipps, but he was also a member of the Governor's Council um, under Dudley. Uh, one of the four people to interview Captain Kidd when he was when he was captured. Uh, he actually went to the Gardner's Island. He helped recover the treasure that was found there. Mm-hmm. They waited on Belcher's Wharf, and uh, Belcher was one of the last people to talk to to Captain Kidd before he uh, was executed. So there's there's a connection there uh, between Belcher as the as the Lynch. Um, I also read a. a, a I don't know if it's true or not, but there was a, a newspaper article, I think, from the 1900s that talked about something like like Captain Kidd's, um, uh, was it like Butler or something, was was involved with Phipps's, someone on his staff. Mm. And there was actually a newspaper article that talked about the two of them, like the there was a connection there. So um, I never really looked into that, but it, it's somewhat interesting, right? Very, very interesting. Like I said, here's... Scott's book, like you said, you want to say again where you can purchase it through the. Yep. So as I said, in Canada definitely, I would I would suggest uh, Amazon.ca, mm-hmm. uh, and it's in bookstores across Canada, mostly in on, on the Atlantic Coast right now, uh, but it is in Ontario and in different places. And uh, um, U.S. I would suggest you can get it on on Amazon.com. It, it's probably just a few dollars more. Or I would suggest getting it through my publisher, Nimbus.ca. And it'll be a little bit cheaper. And like I said, it'll be less than a week for shipping. Okay. And you said you couldn't use group names and, and, and names. What was that again, Scott? Yeah. When I originally wrote the book, I, I included personal. Like I talked a bit more about my family. And, and, okay. Yeah. And, and I mentioned people I uh, involved with Oak Island. And I, because I actually mentioned your website, Quest of Oak Island, in the book. And they couldn't, uh, uh, they wouldn't do it. No, no, it's in the book. They they kept they kept the website, but I I mentioned oh. I mentioned John Stemmer and and uh, and uh, I also thank uh, uh, Daniel in the book as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, there was some things they took out that they just thought was too much personal stuff that wouldn't be of interest to the wider audience. I hear you. I hear you. So, yeah. Well, that's where you can get Scott's book on. Scott's going to stay with us for a while, and we're going to torture him through our podcast here. <laughs> so, Judy, if you can hear me. Call in if you can. Judy uh, is a fantastic uh, moderator. She does the synopsis of the show for a lot of people who can't see. And um, it's like being there. She's so factual with her synopsis, Scott. It's like almost being watching the show. Oh, I know. I've seen it online. Yeah. Judy's great. I hope Judy can hear me. I don't know if she'll be able to hear you. I think you'll be able to hear her. There we go. Hello. Hello, John, and hi, everybody. Good to be here, as always. Scott, can you hear hi, her? Scott. I can, yep. Can you hear me, Judy? Hi, Scott. Nope, I guess not. <laughs> here, try this. Let me unplug this. Go ahead. Hey, Judy, okay. can you hear me? Hi, Scott, can you hear me? I can hear you. She can't hear me. Hold on, guys.
Now I can't hear you, John. I can't hear anything, John. <laughs> Make your on mute. John, some of our members are saying they can't hear you at all. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I, I do enough talking. Okay. <laughs> You're not so gonna... I can hear you, John, but I and I can hear Judy. I don't know if you can hear right, me. Right. So Judy's not gonna be able to hear you. So otherwise some of them okay. you when you have a phone with live people on here, there's some kind of connection that I gotta get an extra adapter or something. I have no yeah. idea. Okay. I tried, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Judy, let me uh add you to the stream when you're ready. Go ahead, Judy. All righty, guys. And we're at season 10, episode 24, Down the Hatch. It's a new day filled with optimism on Oak Island. And at the garden shaft, 91 feet down, Dumas is ready to start probe drilling through the bottom of the shaft in hopes of finding the tunnel that the team found earlier this season at 95 feet down. It is now a race against time as winter approaches. Meanwhile, in the war room, the team is discussing the recent trip to Italy made by Doug, Rick, Peter, and Alex. They talk about the many caves they inspected and the many symbols found on the walls of these caves that are also found on Oak Island, many of them Templar symbols. Alex shows them the most interesting one found on the pillar of a church, which reads the letters H-I-C. In Latin, these letters mean here. By rearranging the I and C, Alex believes this could mean here Templar goals. These same symbols are on the H.O. stone on Oak Island. Could it be these symbols are pointing to Templar treasure on Oak Island? Certainly more research is needed, and perhaps we will get the answer in Season 11. Later that day, we find the team in the swamp looking at the stone ramp that they now concede does connect to the stone paved area and the stone road. Rick says the ramp is definitely man-made and Ian points out that they are having the twigs found under the rocks carbon dated. At this point, Rick's phone rings and it's Scott, who is at the garden shaft, informing them 
that they believe they have found the tunnel under the shaft at 91 feet down. Off to the garden shaft, they all go. Upon arriving at the shaft, Roger from Dumas informs them they have sent the probe drill down under the shaft and have found wood. The team decides to put a casing down the probe hole using PVC piping, then put the camera down in order to not disturb the area too much. They get to work. Over on lot five, Laird and Jack are continuing a dig on the round stone structure in the ground. Jack finds a piece of red earthenware pottery Laird says was used in the 1700s. A few minutes later, Laird finds a piece of the same pottery and believes it could even be from the same vessel. Laird declares, we need to find out what this structure is, and we need to do it this year. Back at the garden shaft, Dumas has inserted the camera into the probe hole as the team gathers to watch. They find some wood and lots of clay at the bottom of the hole. They decide to pull the camera and coat the hole with urethane in order to drill through the wood and clay. The next day on lot five, Laird is updating the team on the progress of the dig. He tells them the structure is larger than they originally thought as the edge is four feet further out. Laird decides to dig deeper and to dig out four more feet. They will need a crane to remove the large rocks first. Jack then asks, could this be the hatch that's on Zena's map? It's in the right area. Could it be? And will we find out this season? Later in the war room, the team is meeting via video with scientist Chris McFarlane from his lab where he has just finished testing the round corrugated disc found on Lot 5 earlier this year. He says the artifact has been in the ground for over 100 years and is made from the same metal from France as the cross found at Smith's Cove. Chris tells them this artifact is the only one ever to come across his lab that equals the cross. Both pieces date to the 14th century. Gary found this artifact close to the round stone structure on lot five and wonders if it came out of the fill in the hole. Is this another tie to the Templars? Dr. McFarlane agrees to do more research on the item. That afternoon, the team is working on the stone ramp in the swamp, hoping to find the far edge. Gary's beeper goes off and Jack digs up a brass doorknob that Gary says could be from a ship's door or cabinet. He begs it. After letting Billy do a little more digging, the guys get down into the hole with shovels 
and eventually do find the far edge. They can now see that the ramp does line up with the stone road and the paved area. Alex asks, what was its purpose? More work is needed. The following morning at the garden shaft, Dumas is ready to drill through the bottom of the shaft at 91 to 92 feet down. The four-inch drill starts up, but is moving very slowly. They are hitting something really hard, and the drill stops working. Rick suggests they pull it up to see if anything is on it. They find a very small piece of wood, and Roger says it's not new wood, and Marty points out the piece is large enough to carbon date. Rick then asks if Dumas can pull up the four-inch drill and put a six-inch drill down. Roger says that can be done. As Marty warns the team that with winter very near, time is running out, and they call it a day. Well, next week's final show of the season Show us what is under the shaft, or are we going to be left hanging until season 11? Stay tuned, Quest family, and stay safe, please. Fantastic. Judy, as always, thank you so much. Very professionally done. Thank you. Thank you. That Judy, she's the best. Yep, for sure. So one of the Thank you, John, I appreciate it so much. Okay, what do you got, Scott? I was going to say one of the things that kind of strikes me. Uh, they're they're talking a lot about Lot Five recently, and, and yeah. anomalies there. Um, I know that Lot Five was owned by a man named Timothy Lynch, who who also owned the lot next to the Money Pit. He was one of the first owners, and I talk in my book how um, two of his sons became Freemasons in Chester Lodge, mm-hmm. um, just after 1795. And the main reason that men became Masons uh, then and even now is usually because their father was a Mason. So um, I also know that Casper Woolenhoop, who owned Lot 18, the Money Pit Lot, his son became a Freemason. Hmm. So it's very possible that Woolenhoop and Lynch were Masons as well. And, um, and, and of course, and like I said, he owned Lot 5 uh, in addition to the one next to the Money Pit. Unbelievable. Again, I'm going to so, put your book up. There could be a connection there. You never know. There's Scott's book, Oak Island Odyssey, a Masonic quest. And there it'll be. <laughs> so either uh, you still want to stay with us or you want to book out. How's that sound for an hour? <laughs> I'm good for, for, for a while. Thanks, John. All right. All right, guys. Usually I do one thing with a pet peeve. It's sort of my little crazy thing I do. Johnny's brain works. So they're doing a new lab on top of the uh, museum for more research, more x-ray machines, more all kinds of diagnostic machinery to get it out of the museum. So when the tourists start, they'll have their own lab. You know what I mean? Right. So this updated picture came here, guys. Now I got a civil engineering background, okay? What struck me funny about this new addition on the museum is 
they're in Nova Scotia, right, Scott? Yep. You guys get a lot of nasty weather, right, Scott? Oh, me. Sorry, I'm not in Nova Scotia. I'm in Toronto. Oh, Toronto, but in Nova <laughs> Scotia. In Nova Scotia. We both do. We both do, yeah. Right? They get a lot of snow, right? Yep. Why in the world, this is why the fellowship drives me crazy, no matter what they do, building houses, looking for treasure, why would you have windows only a foot off the ground? That is kind of weird, isn't it? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, when I looked at the foundation, it's not a sunken lab floor. That floor is right there where that white border is. Now, yeah, why in Nova Scotia, with the winters they have, do you have windows a foot off the ground? Another question for the quest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Does that make sense, guys? It does, John, and I uh, I never even thought about it when I looked at it. But I wonder if it would ever be open year-round, right? I mean, it might only be open during the spring to fall months or something. Uh, I have no idea. If they're getting all this equipment, Scott, maybe they'll take things from around the world and uh, and analyze them since they have the machinery there, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true, too, yeah. In between, uh, if they find something in the swamp or something on Lot 5 and continuously use it, you know, Emma. Yep. But uh, I don't know, maybe 18 inches, 20 inches high. I don't know. But it just seems awful weird to me to have such low windows in that kind of climate. That's only me. That's only Johnny thinking. That's how <laughs> my brain works. You know what I mean, uh, Judy? Yeah, I got you, John. I had not thought about it, but I know that it wouldn't be good where I live. <laughs> Especially when the water comes down here and it starts raining. Mm -hmm. Forget it. Yep. All righty. Now we're going to go through some uh, screenshots, uh, Scott, uh, of the yep. show and basically go over and see what Judy said. <laughs> All righty. Here's that guy, Roger, they're talking about from Duma's Mining. Obviously, Scott, you didn't meet any of them from the mining. No, so another another cool uh, little fact. Um, so I work uh, in downtown Toronto. Okay. Um, and and at a, a certain building, and I found out that Dumas actually has their head office in my building. Oh, in downtown Toronto. Yeah, it was a total. So they they of course they have a um, mines up in up in northern Ontario, mm -hmm. where some of the guys are from. The actual uh, the the workers on the island, but uh, I know at least one of the guys works in the same building as me, and I was I was hoping to. Pop up and, and meet him one day. Yeah, yeah. We're all looking for the teasers that they gave us in the beginning of the season. That's when Daniel says, where's the blue jewel? And me, I'm always yelling, holy Muyan because of Mulan, <laughs> Muyan technology. We haven't yeah, heard of kinda, Yeah, stopped. And I'm thinking, Scott, like I told my members, I got a civil engineering background. And the only thing I can think of is that choice drilling that does all that vibration to drill down. They just got too close to the sensors, even though they said 10 feet away. The money pit is so much jibble jabbled that vibrations will go right through all that wood and all that backfill more than it would if it was just regular fill not touched. You know, Scott? Right, right. And here they are starting up the drill that they're going to drill that. Uh, four-inch drill bit at the 91-foot level. 
Now, do you keep up to date on the programs every week, uh, Scott, or no? I do, but I'm behind in Canada, so I know I know there's people who can yeah. access, but I haven't seen this episode yet. Right, you get this on Sunday, like everybody Correct. else in Canada, right? Yeah. Spoiler, I'm spoiling it for you. Yeah, that's that's okay. <laughs> and the whole season was this: the garden shaft, rebuilding the garden shaft, looking for a ramp in the swamp, some surface finds, and we went on a world tour trying to. Uh, research factual things together and tie it into Oak Island. So that's basically the whole season time to tell you the truth. Yep. This is when they're saying they're about 90 feet down. There's some of the wood they found with the gold in there. Because they were always saying this tunnel was 95 feet down, Scott. That's why I put up there that, you know, they're hitting it at 90 feet. It could be the top. And then you had four feet of tunnel, so that would be 95, you know. Right. And there they are with their drill on the side. You see where they're drilling inside the, the garden shaft. I'm still surprised at this level. You know, the 90-foot stone, you know, the flood came in. We're at 91 and no water yet. And here's the tunnel they're looking for, an original depositor uh, tunnel that's underneath there, right, Judy? Yes. Very clearly, they can, we can see it there. I hope, uh, heck, it's very clear when they find it. Mm -hmm. Yep. So there's the hole. They do put some kind of goop in there to waterproof it when they put a casing down in there and stuff. So they know what they're doing. I mean, they're the professionals, so they're not going to be... Uh, they're going to be overcautious when they're doing things like this here. Yeah. And this is what they're trying to find, that 95-foot tunnel, or which they call the offset chamber. But they're getting a lot of members and myself confused. They keep on calling the garden shaft the money pit. Well, nobody <laughs> knows where the money pit is. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, they're assuming it's in that baby blob area, right? That's yeah. That vicinity, yeah so. About 15 feet away, somewhere in there, I guess. Offset chamber, but... And I gave Blink's Bottling Company a free uh, promo here. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. <laughs> Giving a shout out to the people in Canada. <laughs> and again, we got to hear about the H.O. Stone. Yep. And this is where they're talking about the depth. And here they are back at the swamp, which also, Scott, they found an anomaly three foot deep on the south east side of the peninsula that Fred Nolan uh, made. We haven't gotten yeah. to it yet. There's about 15 things they haven't returned to yet. And we only have yeah. one hour show left <laughs> next week. So I don't know what the heck they're going to be showing. Exactly. Yeah. And this is this ramp. It goes to the pave area, which does nothing for me, really. I mean, they're finding twigs underneath the ramp in the paved area. They knew about this paved area in 1795. 
Well, there's paperwork on that. But as far as getting dates, okay, 1,200. But otherwise, you know, what was it, a wharf? What was it, a path? I still don't have no idea what the heck thing it was. But I would call it sort of more of a wharf if it was dug out deeper um, to offload things on a smaller ship because a bigger ship couldn't get close. Um because right. even even the water levels would have been lower even then, you know, Scott. Yep. Where does it lead to the path? That six hundred and fifty foot path. We found some, uh, not fireplaces, but fire pits, uh, pottery. But uh, I'm getting like Marty, uh, Scott. We want to find something of some kind of substance of something. I'm getting data overload. <laughs> and um, don't you see, I mean, I, I, as a book writer now, right? How do you, you know, all these books written about Oak Island and all these um, the theories, yet not one is closed off saying, nope, it can't be that. Not one could be closed off what do you think of it yeah you're right i mean um i i certainly believe my silver theory to be the strongest evidence-based theory okay uh just the fact that they found silver deep in the money pit right. i talk about how they actually found silver ingots on the island back in the 1860s mm-hmm. um and then of course you know the letter that i found and, and the, the map the the mole map saying that la plata is in yeah. my home bay and it means the silver right yeah so there's and then there's there's also work that graham harris did on on uh so i just think there's so much evidence pointing towards that possible theory um of course any theory could be correct but um and and, and again a lot of these books are very different right there's been uh um I, my book i know is is at least 90 percent new content that people wouldn't have seen before so and that's what people um, are looking for you know what i mean so i take yeah i take pride in that and i, I know that for, for example james mcquiston has a uh, a Freemason book that came out recently, but his is completely different than mine. He's he's going in a different direction. So we're we're actually looking to read each other's books and maybe look for some common ground to right. to work on in the future. But what that uh, does, but yeah, every sorry, what, go ahead. With that James McQuiston, he seems like he writes a book every three weeks. <laughs> he you did. I mean, yeah, I I know. mean does does it point to any anything? I mean, you just keep on. You know, here's my twentieth book. Well, uh, let's get to the point. Not get to the point. What do I want to say? Well, after writing 20 books, the fellowship say, hey, okay, this guy's on the ball. This is what it is. And this is what the treasure is. No, they don't say any of that. It just keeps on writing books. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I know his main theory was the the Knights Baronets. And, and, they, right. and that was one of the top theories they talked about on the show. And 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 all of his research kind of led eventually towards Freemasonry, like mine all does as well. So yeah. I th- they've counted down the top 10 theories last year, and almost every one of them had some link to Freemasonry somehow. Yeah. yeah. You know, like there was Prince Henry Sinclair and, and like every one of them had some sort of a link to Freemasonry. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's what's going to be found eventually that there's there's or I hope, you know, I hope there'll be some sort of proof that comes out that proves that there was um I believe that the money pit was used as as an initiation um pit as well. Yeah, one initiation time. So, chamber, yeah. Yeah, which all goes into the whole um Royal Arch uh, degrees, the the ninth arch. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I we'll see, right? Well, yeah. I really hope they 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 find something concrete yeah. once and for all, and not yeah. just stop the show and. <laughs> yeah. But it's like leave us uh, all hanging. We got two physical things. We got the island itself, and Nolan's Cross. But Nolan's Cross, this just this didn't appear out of nowhere. You know, I mean, what else do we have really there? Okay, we got this paved area and this rampy looking thing, but what we have is the island and the lots and Nolan's Cross that's still there for some reason. Right. Yeah, I mean, it all started with the money pit, right? That was the the whole reason why why uh, and I and I I've always believed that the money pit started as a natural sinkhole. Mm, a lot of I, people I think, say I, that, I, yeah. I think that's why Oak Island was chosen was just that, that they, they happened to find a, a natural sinkhole that was already there and they, they modified it. It would have taken way less manpower, way less time. And yeah. uh, that, that's my theory that, that, you know, of why Oak Island was specifically chosen. Here we go. And, then, and then, and then of course the swamp, you know, became a, an addition later and Nolan's cross that was, um, um, I think in the nineties that was discovered that it, uh, had specific alignment and, and yep. measurement that, that, and then, uh, my friend Petter came up with the theory that it, it's half of a, uh, Kabbalistic tree of life, yep. which Petter. I talk about in my book quite a bit as well. So, I mean, it all, yeah, it all, it's all very interesting. And all right. Here's a and, question for you. Yep. Do you, do you have a theory being most of these findings were around 1750s? The majority of original owners of lots are associated with Lusenberg and that this pit may have stored the booty. This is this 13 foot round pit that's on lot five, Scott. Oh, on lot five. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it's certainly possible. Uh, um, a lot of the people in my research also were connected to, to Louisburg. Um, uh, a, a lot of Freemasons were there. Like, like uh, there was there was a lodge at Louisburg. Um, one of the first um, lot owners on Oak Island was a was a Freemason who was at Louisburg. Hmm. Um, so there definitely could be something to do with with something that was brought there. Um, I still think it goes back older than that. You know, yep. um, um, based on all the things they've been finding over the years, like there, there almost seems to be multiple treasures, right? Like I, I I can't sort of fathom this this Roman, you know. To me, that's kind of too far out there, but uh, yeah, me too. It could have been part of a Templar, you know, horde or something that somehow got, you know, separated and yeah, they're finding some. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like I said, anything, anything's possible. I just know my research points yeah. to Masonic involvement starting around 1760 for sure. When 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 uh, Charles Morris created that map. Which I believe has ciphers, and when the first lot owners, uh, Jonathan Prescott in particular, and, and Jonathan Seacombe, uh, who was a very good friend of, of the Belchers, um, that all points, you know, to me to a certain certain time period. And, and yep. And the, also with the Freemasonry, this thirteen foot round replica, not replica, because the money pit didn't have all stones around the top and the bottom. Anything on Freemasonry that they would have some kind of ritual with such a big 13-foot round foundation or a tower or, 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 or something. And this number 13 comes up all the time. One, three. I can't tell you how many times the number 13 came up, Scott. Any ideas yeah, I, on it? 
I, I mean, I've heard that that's also a Masonic number 13, but uh, like I said, the pit itself, it, it's absolutely reminiscent of the, uh, the Royal Arch degree back in the um, uh, 1700s. Uh, back then, the very earliest description said it must be held underground in a, in a deep, uh, you know, um, in a pit underground with, with a single trapdoor at the top for a brother mason to be, you know, led down through. And it's very specific. And it absolutely was meant to be, out, you know, outdoors underground. And nowadays they, they do a symbolic, um, you know, they pretend to have a sort of a, a pit and, and, and masons sort of go through a, you know, um, theoretical um, degree. But, but yeah, at one time it was definitely meant to be like that. Now, 13 feet, I don't know about that, but, but uh, it would have been have to be big enough for um, someone to go down and, and then for them to have layers of logs and probably ladders sure. that were involved at first, you know, to So anything, anything as far as a smaller or shallower 13-foot round stone, like a big, huge fire pit type of deal, no connection as far as long ago about them making something like that for the Freemasons. Not that I'm aware yeah, of. Okay. Yeah. And here they are. They're sticking the sewer camera down the casing to see the shaft. And they hit up with clay. The whole island's full of clay, blue clay or uh, regular clay. So that's when they said they have to get the six-inch drill, uh, Scott, and go right through the stuff to take a look. So I guess that's part of next week. Right. Interesting. Yeah. And the goal values. Now, if they had goal values at 55 feet in a shaft, Scott, 55 feet, because the garden shaft has been flooded for all these decades, wouldn't they say that 55-foot level, because gold is heavy, would be an offset chamber sort of at the 55-foot level? Than more at the 90 foot level if gold settles at a 55 feet level uh you know what i mean i, I don't get how that starts like that what do you think scott yeah i, I can't really say I, I mean i just know that uh you know back in the back in the day there was definitely uh um recorded that there was a blowout you know the original money yeah, yeah, there yeah. and and uh, as graham harris and les mcphee talk about in their right. book they're both geotechnical engineers yeah they they, they proved that there was a, a blowout yeah and everything scattered and things just went poof you know yeah and, yeah and then they've been pumping water down and probably things have been going up and down and so yeah it's it's like swiss cheese it's like stuff moving around and you know uh yeah so i i mean things could really be at, at any level and and uh um, but yeah, I don't know. I hear you. Then this thing that they called a token, a Roman token. This is another rant that uh, a lot of researchers said it was a whistler or a buzzard with the two holes in it. I saw that online. Yes. And people thought it was more modern. Everybody's going crazy. And now again, it showed up again, uh, last night. Uh, Michelle says, I'm confused in episode 20, uh, episode 21. Sandy, the coin guy, was 100% sure the Led Barton token from Let 5 was 5th century Roman and had photos of it. Now, on episode 24, Chris McFarlane examination says the same piece is 14th century French of identical material as the Templar cross found on the beach. So, guys, it's just 
getting more confusing. <laughs> and like I'm telling uh, Scott, and Scott knows the guys do what they have to do. Gary goes out and finds what he has to find. They go out every day. They're wired up, and whatever they find at that time is found right then and there. Videotape, catalog, and all that information. I've talked to other people that they do. They send all that information to the editor. It comes back from the editor to the uh, producer. They refine it a little bit. It goes back to the editor for time constraints. Then here's the one you got to think of, guys. It goes to production in California. And those are the guys that put the story together. That's that's the bottom line. You know what I mean? So they try to steer the story to the Templars, to the Freemasons, to the pirates. That's part of the production side. It's kind of getting hard to get used to because a lot of us are more determined on this stuff. They, they probably never thought they'd have Facebook groups, uh, Scott. Really <laughs> tearing everything apart. And they, our experts are just as good as their experts. You know what I mean, Scott? Yeah, yeah, it seems that way, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. They they have a um, storyboard that they, they set up and they try to anticipate how the season will go based on what it, what's been found and what they want to focus on, that kind of yep. thing. And certain yep. things get left behind and it's, it's yeah, well, it's a bit frustrating at times. And here's a picture of that 13-foot mysterious stone formation, which they just bought lot five. And so we just barely scratched the surface on that because Gary had like about 47 flags set up on there and we hardly hit uh, any of those yet, uh, Scott, uh, this season. Right. Yeah, I remember when I was there, I was going around with, with uh, Jack and just seeing all the flags everywhere. And Yeah. Crazy, yeah. And now they're sort of pushing that 13-foot that hole on lot five could be the hatch on Xena's map. So they're tying it. You can see the tie-ins coming in, Scott. Can you can you feel the tie-ins coming in? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And even that that 13 feet, I, I mentioned in my book, uh, one of the earliest accounts said it was 16 feet. 16. So, yep, yep. So there's 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 been in differences over the years, and and um, but it sort of became 13 was the accepted number yeah. that got sort of written into the. the Right. I wish they would uh, correct some of these things, like, you know, the three kids on the boat. Kids, McGinnis was 36 years old. He was man. Yeah, exactly. It was McGinnis was a man, 37. (laughs) And that, and that, I talk about that in the book as well. That that's part of the thing. Because there was, there was uh, um, Vaughn. So McGinnis was friends with Vaughn. But, but it was uh, Vaughn Jr. who later talked to the people in the, in the uh, the early the Onslow company, Von Junior, not Von Senior. Von Senior is the one that would have been connected doing the work. Mm-hmm. Von Junior was thirteen at the time, so uh, he would have been probably helping his dad. Yeah, but but he would have just been maybe hearing things and and you know so there, that that added to the confusion as well. It wasn't a first hand account, yep. or or it wasn't fully a first hand account. It was maybe partially. Yep. and also they said the lead from this token supposedly is the same from the lead cross right but that could have been a musket ball lead that's been repurposed and redid about a million times because everybody did everything over and over they never threw anything out so now they're trying to connect this token type of thing to the lead cross 
Now that's getting too much stretchy for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, how accurate is that dating? I guess if that's <laughs> if it's accurate, it's it's interesting, obviously. But right, right. And here they are at the swamp with the ramp. And when Scott said this, I said, no kidding. I got 70,000 people saying the same thing. <laughs> Scott says, the suspense is killing me here. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, Judy? It's for sure, John. We're all going a little crazy. <laughs> yep, Daniel, I got it. But uh, we'll just keep on pushing that... Uh, narrative on that side no matter what we say but uh it's up to them we put it out there they believe it or not you got different angles different situations and believe who you believe that's all you can do you know it's all part of the story it's all part of this oak island craziness you know <laughs> and then gary found a doorknob i always kid him on that other one last year i went wild they found some kind of gold thing and they promoted it and they promoted it scott right so I'm pumping it, right? Oh, we finally got a piece of gold, and it was a gold doorknob, <laughs> or a brass-looking doorknob. Right, right. I says, oh, my lordy, 40. Yeah. So now they find this doorknob. So everybody's saying, well, it's part of the other side of the door, and of course it's got to be to a ship. You know, it's a vessel knob. Looks like a brass door handle. Very interesting. But like I said, this this ramp and the pathway and the uh, stone path, it really doesn't do anything for me. But just get dates. You know what? It's we're still asking the same question. Ten years later, what was it for? We got dates, okay, but what did they use it for? We still don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was clearly meant to reinforce, you know, un unloading something heavy and, and, and take, yeah, moving something around. But yeah, yeah. Other put, than that, it doesn't really. You put stones in the muck so you can walk on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. If it's always swampy, you throw down some boards, you throw down some rocks, and you can walk over. But but just why? You know what I mean? That's the big old question. Why? Will we ever find out? And what's the date on that again? Did... 1,200. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's those, those, those dates that go back to Templar times. I don't know. But what other, you know, what have we found to corroborate a Templar find? Nothing. I mean, theories, yeah, sure, but the cross, okay, but for 10 years, you know, show me more proof. I need more proof to actually yeah, say, yep, okay. the Templars stopped here, or they went by and they went to the New World or whatever they did. And that's where the Mi'kmaq uh, come in. That's why I've been trying to get the, the president to come on a podcast to just see their history of what they know about the uh, association like their museum do they have a museum with stuff from this time period of course they do but do we ever see it i don't think so yeah and i believe didn't james write about his one of his first books about uh gloose cap yeah being yeah. a connection to henry sinclair and, and yeah. uh, 
So I know I know he felt back then that he had potential proof of, of a connection yep. there. Yep. So this is where they put the casing in. I'm looking for some kind of material to come up on the uh, the shaft. And this is what we got, uh, Scott. A toothpick <laughs> full of wood that's good enough for uh, carbon dating wow. on the supposedly original depositor tunnel. And now they said they're going with a bigger six-inch replacement and then get a camera down in there. One of those, they got the bigger cameras now. One yeah. of the things I hope they might try and do, uh, uh, in my book, I talked about how um, in one of the early descriptions, it talks about how when they were drilling, um, something caved in and a big, large piece of wood was ejected mm -hmm. from, from the original money pit area. And they actually made that into walking sticks, apparently. And one of those walking sticks was given to the editor of a newspaper in Liverpool. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on, step back. Yeah. A piece of wood came out of where? Who made what? So 1860s, I believe. Okay. Um, Jotham McCauley, one of the early accounts he was talking about, says right. that they were, they were down in the Money Pit area okay. drilling. All right. And and something collapsed and a big piece of wood came out of nowhere. Okay. It, it wasn't a piece of wood that they would, had put there. It, All right. it was an original piece of wood okay. from whatever workings were underground. So they, they made that into apparently walking sticks, uh, which were fashionable at, at the time, right? And, and one of them was given to a man who was the editor of a newspaper in Liverpool, who I found out later was a Freemason, of course. <laughs> and um, so I have a friend in Liverpool... Um, mm -hmm. Um, Linda, who is the uh, director of Queens County Museum. Okay. And I asked her if she would mind looking into it. And, and uh, um, it was amazing to find out right away that, that the lodge that this person belonged to okay. closed down. And a lot of their archives were actually donated to this museum, okay. Queens County Museum. So Linda looked into it. Um, not, not thoroughly, but, but sort mm -hmm. of, you know, gave it a, a general look and, and, uh, she actually found a number of other walking sticks or walking sticks in general, mm -hmm. but nothing specifically that would point it towards Oak Island or, or, uh, mm. or this gentleman from the, the, the newspaper editor. So um, I don't know if the, if the sticks would have had something, you know, Oak Island carved into it or what it was, yeah. you know, but, but um, I just thought that would be a really cool thing to try and trace. Yeah. It sounds and, fantastic. Uh, if, if you can find that and carbon data it, you know, that would be amazing. So I, 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 that's also in my book, and I, it's something I'm hoping the guys on the island might want to try and pursue uh, further, you know, try to trace it a bit further. There's this book, guys. <laughs> the Oak Island Odyssey, Masonic Quest, Scott Clark. Beautiful. Yep, thank you. All right, guys, about uh, that's all I got. Uh, Judy, you still there yeah. with us? I'm still here, John, listening. Not ready. Um, if you want to say uh, your goodbyes, and then uh, Scott will say his goodbyes, and I'll say my goodbyes, and thank him so much for coming on. And uh, go ahead, Judy. Okay, Scott, I just want to say happy birthday again. I'm glad you could spend it with us at Quest. Thanks and much, uh, have a good week, everybody. Enjoy Oak Island next Tuesday night. And uh, I will be back with you next Wednesday night with my synopsis. 
And in the meantime, everybody, please stay safe. Please. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, John. Okay, Judy. Thank you for all you do for me. Thank you. Thanks, Judy. Yeah, bye-bye. And Scott, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Stay in the staging area once I uh, say my goodbyes. Uh, talk to you for about two, three minutes. And uh, very uh, happy, happy birthday from the Quest family to you. Thank, yeah, thank you, you so much. Everybody, uh, I'll put his book up one more time. I really appreciate all the... Uh... All the birthday wishes and, and for you having me on, John. It was great. And uh, I just want to mention one quick thing that um, yeah. I know there's lots of people reading my book right now. And um, uh, I would really appreciate it if people wouldn't mind maybe putting um, um, a review on Amazon afterwards. If they if they bought the book on Amazon or if they have a, an account on Amazon, uh, it would be very, very helpful to me for, for reviews to start accumulating. All right. I'll put that once so. I uh, put up another snippet. I'll put that in the comment section to please put a review in after you uh, have read the book. If that can help you out in any way, let me know. Yeah, I mean, it's helpful to other people, obviously, to know what people think. And yeah. All right, Scotty. Well, I thank you so much. I'll see you thank in the staging done. area. Take care. Be okay. good. Good night, all. And we'll talk to you in a little while. There you go, guys. Scott Clark, get his new book, Oak Island Canes. Oh, my lordy 40, we learned something new, even going into 10 years. We always listening and finding out new facts. Well, everybody have a good weekend. And all the mothers out there have a great Sunday. Uh, happy Mother's Day. Uh, this coming Sunday for all the moms out there. And I really appreciate you guys coming in here. But remember, guys, what do I always say? Always go forward. You may get a setback in your life, but just believe in yourself. Believe in your dreams, no matter how old you are. For tomorrow's a never given. With this crazy world we live in, the world needs a ton of prayers right now. So as my friend Jan says, you be kind, you keep smiling. And you stay safe. And also, you stay strong. And everybody, stay on the positive side. I want to thank you for joining me, Scott, Judy. I'll see you next Tuesday pre-show at 645 for the final season show. Then Judy will be with me on Wednesday. And we'll go over the final show with tears in her eyes. I hope you enjoyed the show and the podcast tonight. Thank you, take care, and bye-bye.